This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. You're listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where each week I'll interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host, Adam Sokol, and if this is your first time listening, thanks so much for taking a listen and giving this podcast a chance. If you've been here since the very beginning, so glad to have you back. This is a really, really fun episode. Uh, Today's discussion is with Clarabelle Ortega, who is an author that I've known about for a really long time. And she and I talked about this after we stopped recording, but Clarabelle has been in my kind of purview, my like Twitter extended world, because for a long, long time, I've known Ryan LaSala and a bunch of young adult authors because of my previous job. And while I never interviewed Clarabelle, Clarabelle has always been at the various events and in the different things that Ryan and all of his other friends like Phil Stamper have done. And so I've seen her kind of grow as an author and it's been really, really cool. And and I told her after we stopped recording, it's been like kind of cheering someone on that I hoped would always become a friend of mine, but I hadn't met yet. And so when she released her first books and they like instantly became a smash hits, it was so cool to see. Clarabelle is the author of a couple of uh, middle grade books, Ghost Squad and Witchlings. And she has a new book that just came out called Frizzy. We talk about all of them in this conversation. So much fun. I really, really think you're going to love it. I just love the way she writes. I love the worlds that she builds. I love the ways that she's able to build out these characters. And you'll find out in this discussion shortly, she's been doing that for a long, long time because she has an obsession with The Sims. And that's an obsession that she obtained, acquired when she was very, very young. And she even tells me about the exact moment that it happened. You're going to love it. It's a great conversation. So hold on tight for just a moment before we'll get to that in just a moment. First, I want to give you a book recommendation. I just finished The White Hair by Jane Johnson. It's a really, really interesting story, especially if you're fans of like magical realism, but also, of course, one of the things that I love so much, family stories with big emotions. This is a story that takes place in the countryside of Cornwall. And there is a young mother and her daughter and the mother's mother as well. The mother is kind of disgraced because of the way that she had her child. This is in the 1950s. And they try to start a new life for themselves in the countryside. They purchase this kind of banner that they want to turn into a guest house. And so the whole story really is about the ways that they all come together and how they try to build this house up and her kind of overbearing, the overbearing grandmother and the the young daughter is extremely precocious, but also has this pet doll rabbit that seems to 
have some magic in it and you're not really sure what's going on. Um, but it's all about the story of them coming into this community who is kind of standoffish and they keep hearing whispers about these mysterious things that happen in the house that they purchase. And you don't really find out what happened until the end, but it it's a really great story. Uh, again, it's something where I love magical realism. I also love stories about families. And so this was really perfect for me. I think you're going to love it. And I think you're going to absolutely fall for this magical plush toy rabbit. It's really great stuff. So it's a great like late fall, this time of year, exactly where we're at. The White Hair by Jane Johnson. Highly recommend it. And then lastly, before we get to Clarabelle, as a reminder, if you leave me a rating or review, wherever you do it, feel free to send that as a screenshot to me at passionsandprologues at gmail.com. Send that to me and let me know what you're currently reading. I'll give you some customized book recommendations as well. Greatly helps other people find the show. Helps me out a lot. I really, really appreciate it. To everyone who has done that so far, thank you so much. You're helping grow the show every single week. It's something that really means a lot to me. Okay. That is just about everything. I'm not going to hold you out any longer. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Clarabelle Ortega on Passions and Prologues. Conversation about- uh, About The Sims? <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So see, the, the best part is, is like, I, my favorite thing about this is like, I know a little bit about The Sims and I played other video games like growing up, like, I, on the computer, but they were more so like roller coaster tycoon or like Starcraft right. and stuff. So right. I'm a little Simsy. So all right, love it so much. Okay, <laughs> let's let's start from the beginning. When do you remember like first falling in love with The Sims? Like what what was that like? I have a very specific memory. So I was at my friend Amy's house um, in high school. And she had a computer room. We used to have those back then. It was not even an office. It was just like a room where you use the computer. And um, she was like, have you played The Sims before? So The Sims came out in like 2000, I want to say, Sims 1. So it's been going on for a long time. And I was like, no. At that point, like, I think my sister had a computer, but mm-hmm. like she was the only person in our family who had a computer. <laughs> so it wasn't like my parents are not like technology people. They're immigrants. They're like technology is not for them so um so my household like I sort of had to like experience those things like elsewhere like my cousin's house um so I was like no I haven't played this before what is it so she shows me this game and the very first thing she shows me is her like killing her character in a cornfield yep (laughs) and of course creepy me that I was was like this is now going to become my entire personality for at least the next 20 to 30 years. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was so ready. It was so mm -hmm. much fun. I remember like we played until I had to go home. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And yeah, that was the very first time that I, that I played the Sims. And then eventually my brother got a computer and he got me, he got me the game and I he his his bedroom was in the basement of our house and I just remember sneaking downstairs to play the sims until like three four o'clock in the morning because when you first start playing any sims game there is no playing for an hour you are going to be sucked down like the sims black hole for at least six to seven hours mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and it's because it I, like I said right before I started recording, like I had this experience when I, I, I think we're similar ages. I'm in my mid, I'm in 36. And like, so it was around the same time where like, when 
our family got a computer, we could play games on the internet, but only like if someone wasn't on the phone because it would cut the internet. Like, you know, we had that exact. So I I would play, my friends and I would play like Starcraft, which was an online one, or um, I could play Roller Coaster Tycoon like by myself without any internet connection. But if we're going to do anything on the internet, that had to be up until like three in the morning anyway, when the phone would ring. But you're right. Like all of those, like, they really are like open world, just do whatever you want type games. And yeah, you, you don't like, it's like Animal Crossing today. Like you're not going to sit down on the Sims and be like, let me just check in on my friends. Yeah. So no, no. let me play a quick match. It's not like that. No, it's it's, yeah. Let me get married and have seven babies and a tragedy at minimum. (laughs) So when you're, when you started playing Sims, like how, how did you approach it? Cause you mentioned like, because I'm taking someone out in the cornfield and murdering them. That's how I remember playing roller coaster tycoon at first, just being like, I'm going to build the most buck wild roller coaster and everyone's going to die on it. Like, how did you evolve to playing it? What, where did you find your joy in the game? I actually didn't really like to kill my Sims in the beginning. That came later, but um, I loved sort of just storytelling through the game really I would make a character and 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 sort of like build up a goal in my mind because the sims is very sort of like open world like you said right like you you're just completing mundane tasks and like as the game has evolved there are ways to sort of like build in bigger goals and parts of the game that like feed that mechanism of sort of like storytelling, like making a million uh, simoleons and starting from zero. Like that is a challenge that people Mm -hmm. sort of used to play. That's now part of the games, part of Sims 4. But for me, it was, it was very simple. Sims 1 was very simple. It was very hard. If you try to play it now, it's like, oh my God, all I do is take care of this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I have no time for a a social life. Um, But I would just try to like tell stories, make goals for my sim. Oh, this sim wants to become a famous movie star. How can I make that happen? They want to get married. Whatever sort of the idea that I came up with in my mind, I would start with a character and then I I would go from there. It was one of the very first sort of like ways that I learned how to tell stories was through the sims. Mm -hmm. And did you find yourself, because again, there's like all these different games that are like city planning type games like where like you said like you can expand did you find yourself doing that or focusing on like a smaller like a family within the larger ecosystem I I would do both like I would definitely have sort of like a main family that I played with but then I would sometimes build out like a few different families and try to make a whole storyline that came with the later iterations of Sims, but I'm not much of a builder. I'm very bad at making houses. Like I've gotten better, but Mm -hmm. at first I was like, sometimes I'll see a house that's like badly made in real life. And I'm like, wow, that looks like I made it in the Sims. It has too many windows. They're in the wrong place. The roof looks off. Like it's about to collapse. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it just really depended like what kind of mood on it I was in and how much time I had to play also. Mm -hmm. Um, but I did a little bit of both. I also played SimCity uh, later on after after The Sims. I found it randomly one Christmas and went down that rabbit hole. And that was really super fun. But yeah. Do you find that it is more of like a, a stress relief or an outlet or like a, a creative tool in your life? Because obviously, like you said, storytelling, like that is something you are 
you know, world building is something you clearly thrive at now as a New York Times bestseller. Well, <laughs> applause, but like, is do you find it as something that you use as escapism or something that you realize kind of like gets your your brain going? Um, I think it is escapism, which is really funny because they're like doing laundry. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Sim has his life more together than I do. <laughs> um, um, it's a little bit of escapism. Yeah, you can just get lost in these stories and the, and they become important to you. Like there's been moments where the Sims, you know, the Sims, they die now in the game and like their their family members grieve them. And you've been, if you've been playing with a Sim for a really long time, it could be devastating for that to happen. Um, I cheat. I make them drink Elixir of Life all the time because... You know, I don't like them to die, but sometimes there are accidents and it happens. And I, I also add a lot of like really weird mods to the game. Like there's a serial killer mod that you can add to the game, which is really funny. Um, there's a life tragedy mod that you can add to the game where like a car will just come and randomly run somebody over like while they're outside of the club. It is so funny. It is so funny. And that sounds like really morbid of me to say but because it's the sims and you're like adding these like extra garnishes it's just really fun i love the community of the sims how incredibly talented people are the things that they can make just better than like what ea makes sometimes to be quite honest with you especially lately but yeah it's definitely a it's it's a thing where i lose myself completely like i just turned in a book last friday and I will just like sit down and just like play Sims all day long and just forget about the outside world and just focus on the world of the Sims. And it's just really fun for me. I find that really, really interesting. And I was having a conversation um, on an episode that hasn't come out yet with uh, Don Kurtagich, who's a, a YA horror writer. She writes very spooky stories. But we were talking about how part of being a writer is just being aware of like the world around you. Like there are ideas that like, you know, that can be anywhere, especially in like a big city, like where you live, like that you can see a person sitting waiting for the sub, like for like, at the subway. And you're like, that is a new secondary character and a new novel. Like you can oh, do that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I imagine that's probably, is that similar for you for the Sims? Like you could see something and be like, Oh, that's a, even if it's not like a direct pull, but like an experience or like a thing you see. Yeah, for sure. I think that when I play The Sims, I sort of see what I respond to in terms of storytelling. That's that's how I sort of because I'm an author now, like I have I see everything through the lens of that, like through storytelling and like how I react to it, what works for me, what doesn't work for me. And even if it's subconscious, I will pull from that sometimes. I love a revenge storyline. It is my favorite thing. So Mm -hmm. I I feel like I end up playing a lot of those things in The Sims. And I did that even way back in high school. And so now to know that, like, I try to seed that into my my writing because it's just something that, like, sort of, like, makes me happy. Absolutely. It's, It's an expression of the things I like to see in storytelling. And then I also learn from it. I learn how to sort of, like, navigate things sometimes. Can you expand for the people who might not be aware like what a revenge scenario might look like in the sims because it's just a sentence sure so i love to have like a cheating storyline so we'll have a couple one of them can be a serial romantic so in that game you can have the trait that 
the sim just wants to have a lot of different romantic partners. They could like completely cheat on their partner, partner catches them, and then the partner sort of thrives on their own while the cheater is like broke and alone. <laughs> Revenge. That's amazing. Do you, so do you find yourself creating characters in a specific build? Like I remember there was a game when I was younger, uh, and I think they're still making them, it was called Fable, and it was like a very much, you could kind of choose, it was like a fairy tale game, it was for, I think it was for Xbox, but basically every choice you made in the game affected whether your character ended up being good or evil, and like the types of powers and skills, and very advanced for back then, like it was crazy. That sounds really cool. Yeah, like you could get married, and like build a house, and like have a family, and abandon your family, and like that would give you like evil points, or like you could obey the laws, or like hit someone in public, and all these different things would would affect you, and I always found myself, because I... (laughs) And my therapist talks to this, talks to me about this all the time. Like, I never want to feel like I'm causing someone else grief or as a kid getting in trouble. So like, I was always picking like the most like Prince Valiant ass choices. That's very very cute. (laughs) Like when you're building out characters, do you find yourself playing a specific way? Now that I've just told you that I was like a goody two shoes girl. (laughs) No, I, it, it really does depend on my mood. Sometimes I would like to have like, sort of like a character who starts with nothing and sort of like builds themselves up and it's like very sweet, but more often than not, I do like my character to have like a little bit of edge to them or just like weirdness. One of the, my favorite parts of the Sims is is how quirky it is in Mm -hmm. The Sims 2, they introduce aspirations. So you could have like a lifetime aspiration. Sometimes it was to be rich. Sometimes it was to have like a, a large family or successful family. And But then there was this one aspiration called grilled cheese sim. And your aspiration was all about making grilled cheese, eating grilled cheese. Your fears were about burning your grilled cheese sandwiches. Your wants had to do with like... Like improving your skills and buying kitchen appliances that would all go to making better grilled cheese. I loved a grilled cheese sim. It was my favorite. It was so funny. I just thought it was so funny. Um, And the thing about the sims is that no matter what kind of character you make, they end up surprising you. Mm-hmm. Even if you try to make the meanest character, even if you try to make the nicest character, they will do things that you weren't expecting. And I think that's what makes the game really fun and interesting. So I just sort of like let it flow and like whatever happens, happens. And sometimes like it's not what I planned for you, but this is going to be your life, now, I guess. Listen, I live in Cleveland. I, I know you live in also cold weather area. This is coming out in the middle of October. This is grilled cheese season. So I'm all for the grilled cheese. I, I love that so much. And I'm I'm curious if that connects at all to how you write your books. Like, do you find yourself planning something out specifically or letting it be similar to like The Sims where it's like, I'm going to start writing this and just see where it goes and kind of surprising yourself. So I used to be what you called a a pantser. So I used Mm. to sort of just like write whatever. But now because I'm perpetually on deadline, I sort of don't have time to not plan things out. Mm. So I, I do write like a detailed chapter by chapter outline now whenever I write something. But 
I do let the words take me where they need to take me and the story go where it needs to go. And I think part of that is establishing a really strong world and characters to begin with. Because Mm -hmm. if you do that, if your character is well fleshed out and thought out, you're going to know if they're doing something that doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, oh, my character would never, they would never do this. Yeah. Right. So, so they sort of write themselves at that point. Like once you establish them as like this kind of character, you know what their next move is going to make is going to be depending on what's happening to them. So, um, so I'm a little bit of both. I do like this uh, to let the story unfold the way it needs to. I'm not super rigid, but mm-hmm. I do believe in the power of sort of like establishing strong characters and premises and worlds first, and then letting the the, the world sort of take over from there. Yeah. So normally I like to ask people like how they think the thing they're passionate about affects their writing, but it sounds like you kind of just said it like, do you think your experience and your love of The Sims has bled into your writing style and your creativity? Absolutely. I think especially the quirkiness of the game. Like if you, even if you don't play The Sims, if you go and watch somebody play on YouTube or even just reading the descriptions of the items in the game catalog, they're all funny. Mm -hmm. They're all fun. They're all really sort of like whimsical. And it's stuff that like most people won't even notice. Like an average player won't go through and like read every single description or notice every little facet of the game. Mm -hmm. But that just makes it so much richer of like a world And I really try to do that with my own writing, like down to like the smallest thing, especially for Witchlings, which is a secondary world. It it took me a couple of days to figure out what the system of measurement was going to be. And I remember my friend was like, why does it matter? And I was like, it's important. Like it's a different world. And the more details I add in it, the more immersed people are going to feel in it. And that's what The Sims is like. Is it, It's so richly built. There's so such a lore to it. So Such great humor and sort of like a personality that you can't help but get lost in it. And that's what I hope people feel with my book. So yeah, I do try that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I want to ask, speaking of like the book world, before we started recording, you were talking about how, you know, obviously you're, you're a full-time author and you have a ton of friends who are also authors, one of which is a friend of the show, Ryan Lasala, who we can talk about in a little bit. But um, you know, one of the things that full-time authors and like my friends who I, who've discussed being an author have talked about is like, once you hit a certain level of success and notoriety, like it's obviously incredible, but it, it's also people will start to look for you. Like anytime you talk about a book in any way publicly, it's very stressful. And it's like, oh, Clarabelle said this about this book or like, oh, I've heard that there's like this, you know, these like backstabbing tweets going on in the YA community, all these different <laughs> things. Like, so I have friends like uh, Mallory O'Mara who they love to play Dungeons and Dragons with their friends because it's like a, they can be private, they can do their own thing and it's not about books. This is a long way of asking, do you play The Sims with your friends? <laughs> So the Sims is actually there was a there was a Sims online mm-hmm. at one point in like the aughts, but I never I never played it. And so I've never really played with my friends. There's been moments where like my friends or like my nieces and nephews will sit next to me as I'm playing. Um, and that's sort of like the closest you can get to like playing with somebody else now yeah. because there's no online play. I used to stream the Sims um, mm-hmm. during the pandemic. 
I had I did this whole challenge that actually merged D and D with The Sims, where I had different scenarios. Uh, depend like every time a character aged up, and I would do a twenty sided die, and then they would have to do sort of like it would be like their fate. It, it was really fun, and people were really invested in it. Um, my character clarinet orchestra was an icon. <laughs> Her children were named after uh, musical instruments, um, so that's pretty much the closest. I did used to play. I don't know if you've ever heard of Second Life. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, whoa, really into Second Life. I was like very, very into it. And it was like at the height of the game where there was like, like IBM was like companies were like actually in the game and owned the islands and like had, there was like, you could take university classes. It was like what Meta wants to be like way back then and like organically. (laughs) Yeah, I that I I was literally what I was gonna say. I was like, it's it's literally what like Facebook is trying to do now. I mm. I heard some. This is apropos of nothing, but I heard some commercial like a a brand who I won't name, but they're like, come listen to our concert on this specific. It was so such a word jumble that I was trying to think of like. Imagine hearing this 10 years ago. It was like, come hear this band on this digital, like, concert hall in Fortnite in the metaverse. Like, it, the sentence blew my mind now. <laughs> and I was like, if you would have said that to me even five years ago, my brain would have melted. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Second Life was really fun. I had a lot of fun playing it, but it was it was a little bit too much of a time suck, I think, huh. because there were other people involved and you started like forming friendships online with these like avatars and it was a lot and there was a lot of drama and that was like really fun to watch because it was like I was much younger than a lot of the people I played with uh-huh. and it was like a lot of like upset like unhappy like housewives like fi- like finding like of escapism yes and then they would try to meet up in real life and it was never who they said they were from their pictures and then they would like come back in game and tell everybody oh it was incredible <laughs> yeah but- <laughs> we'll be back with more passions and prologues after this break hi my name is sara and i want to tell you about my podcast called Can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. And now, back to Passions and Prologues. So for anyone who has read your, you know, Ghost Squad or which things when like, like you were talking about world building and everything and like your books are so immersive and they're so fantastic. And I like, I feel like in my old job when I was interviewing authors, like, I feel like I was like always circling getting a chance to talk to you because I know Ryan so well and all these different things like you and Ryan do a podcast. And I remember like following you on our like account over there and like being like, I want to talk to her someday because I'm obsessed with oh, the worlds that you build. And so you. I want to ask oh you're welcome I want to ask you though about your new book Frizzy can you kind of tell our listeners 
what it's about and, and that world and, you know, why you're so excited for it to be coming out. Sure. So Frizzy drops October 18th. It is actually my debut uh, graphic novel with uh, Rose Busamra, who is the illustrator. Um, it is about a 12-year-old Dominican-American girl named Marlene, who is sick and tired of getting her hair straightened every weekend at the salon, but it makes her mom happy. So it's very difficult for her to sort of like break away from that. Um, she's also dealing with like sort of beauty standards in her community that tell her that like straight hair um, is more beautiful and curly frizzy hair is bad hair. So she goes on this journey of sort of self-discovery and learning to love herself and accept herself for who she is and to stand up for what she wants to look like. And um, there's, I reread it the other day in another language because it is being translated. I can't tell you what language is yet, but I was reading it in another language and I was like crying, (laughs) (laughs) crying, laughing. It was so fun. It's set in the Bronx where I grew up. A lot of the stories are taken from my childhood. And I I really enjoyed writing in graphic novel form. I'm a very sort of like visual person. So it really sort of tickled a a part of my brain. Working with Rose and with First Second, my publisher, has been incredible. They're just like a great team. And I think the story is really important. And it's very specific to my childhood and my community, but it's also very universal because everybody has had like issues with something about themselves that they didn't feel happy with growing up, especially in middle school. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think watching Marlene sort of like navigate that and be so brave and smart and ask these uncomfortable questions of the adults around her is interesting. And I'm honored that I got to write it and that people are responding to it so well. Yeah. And I'm super curious about the the graphic novel creation aspect, especially a book like this, where like, obviously it's about her hair. Like it's a, it's an, such an important visual. I, what was the experience like? Because I've had so many authors talk about like writing comics or graphic novels, and some of them are like at the hip with the with the graphics. Some of them like have no connection, and they just each do their own thing. Like, what was the process like for you again especially with a story that the visuals are so important to this story right so um I wrote the script and in the script I I included lots and I mean like tons and tons of description like down to colors like the color scheme is something that like I was like oh everything's pink and I was like yeah of course it is because you like wrote that in and you love pink hello (laughs) that's like as if it just happened um (laughs) So um, Rose does also love pastels. It just worked out. But um, I wrote a very detailed sort of script. And then there was some interaction. I wouldn't say we were attached at the hip or like constantly talking, but it was like Rose would send in a draft to me and Kiara, our editor. And then Kiara would ask for notes um, would would give back notes. I would give feedback. Most of the feedback came from Kiara. Most of the feedback was like on very small things, like mm. tightness of the bubbles around like the words or the placement, things like that. But for the most part, it was a very smooth process. It just sort of like worked really well with our team. Um, so there was some interaction. I would say that now that the book is done, we've interacted more because we have to do events together we're going on tour together we text each other all the time now but that really didn't start happening towards the tail end of the process that's also because rose was working their butt off 
yeah. uh, for like two years. I, I, I finished in a couple months, right? Yeah. But they did the hard part of it. So, so yeah, so there was like, a, it took a little bit of time. It's, we also didn't know each other in real mm-hmm. life. And this all happened virtually, right? So uh, now we're friends, but it took a little while to get there. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And part of the reason I'm always so interested is like, as someone who writes like young and all and, and middle grade fiction and like you're when you're writing a novel, it's an entirely different experience. And so I'm like, did you find yourself writing, you know, like a full paragraph and then needing to pare it down into a sentence type of a situation? Cause obviously there's far less room for yes. words when there's so many visuals. Absolutely. That was, I, I would say that was like the biggest sort of uh, learning curve for me was parsing down the the words because I'm used to writing so, so much more. So the first script that I turned in, Kara was like, okay, now some of this is going to have to be cut down. Um, and I think that was like the biggest sort of like change for me. And like the biggest um, thing I had to learn was that like, yeah, you keep, not all of this is not going to fit into a, in a bubble. So you, you're mm. going to have to like condense your words and also rely on the artwork. There are, I really love the scenes where there are no words (laughs) Mm -hmm. and we just uh, rely on the character expressions and the colors and the, and the beautiful illustrations. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm so fascinated by, as a classic overwriter myself, like I, uh, in everything I do, whether it's for like my, my day job where I work for a tech company writing marketing stuff or like I'm querying a novel at the moment and like I could feel, and so I, when I had a friend of mine who edits books, editing it, he was like, wow, you really, you really <laughs> a picture with that one. I'm like, I know I couldn't stop myself. So like, I don't know if anyone was, was ever like, you write a graphic novel. I'd be like, that's impossible for me. It's such a talent. You know what though? I think it is something that could really hone your skills to learn mm-hmm. how to write in less words, right? Like we would make fun of the people who were doing pitching contests on Twitter recently. Cause I was like, you have 280 characters back in our day. We only had 140. <laughs> like you had to really get your point across in so many less words and it's harder. It really is. But I love it. I, this definitely won't be my last graphic novel. And mm. in fact, the next graphic novel idea that I have and that I'm working on is Sims related. Are you allowed to talk about it? I'm assuming. No, it's not under contract or anything like that. I just don't mm-hmm. really give that many details. I will say that it's just a Sims inspired graphic novel. That is awesome. <laughs> um, all right. I, okay. I, there's something else I need to talk to you about. That's <laughs> with it. I, please tell my listeners about the podcast that you do with Ryan. It's <laughs> incredible. So Ryan and I, um, uh, co-host this podcast called Bad Author Book Club. It was originally Celebrity Book Club, but for some reason, like 20 podcasts began like in the midst of the pandemic with that exact same name. So we changed the name. Um, basically, I was really bored during yeah. the pandemic. I was sad and I was just like tooling around online and I came across a video uh, by author Mark Oshiro and they were talking about the first chapter of this book called Model Land written mm-hmm. by Tyra Banks. And I was like, what is this? First of all, it's such a funny video. Mark is hilarious. And so I was like, I want to read this. And then I started to read the intro of it somewhere. And I was like, oh my God, this is too funny. This is incredible. 
I want to make a podcast sort of dissecting this book. Who would do this with me immediately, Ryan? And so we first set up an entire photo shoot in my uh, apartment. And that was the first step to launch the podcast. But we started recording this podcast where we would do a deep dive into every chapter of Model Land, which is probably the worst book that I've ever read. <laughs> but one of the most fun experiences that I've ever had, the most entertained I've ever been with a book. So it's basically a podcast where two authors read fiction by celebrities, uh, mostly celebrities. We we have a couple one-off episodes from the coronavirus books. Um, so it's mostly fiction by celebrities and we sort of like dissect them and talk about them and screech about how ridiculous they are. And it's really so much fun. And it's also sort of like made me interrogate, like, what does it mean for a book to even be bad? Right. Because like Tyra Banks herself said her purpose of writing Model Land was to entertain people. And she did. Yeah. We were entertained, not just us, but all of our listeners. And um, she did what she what she meant to do. She did what had to be done. And um, we had so much fun with it. I'm so excited for the second season. Uh, it's going to be really, really great. And it's just two authors. It's like, I would say part like comedy reaction podcast, part mm -hmm. writing advice podcast. Because we also talk about like, this is how I would have sort of fix this this is mm -hmm. what she would have she could have done to like connect to these two chapters um so it's like a fun way to learn about the craft of writing and also just like laugh and have a good time about like ridiculous books because why not <laughs> yeah I I love that I, I love it first of all I love it so much because I adore both of you but like <laughs> I I feel like, like you said there's at the on its surface it's you two being ridiculous talking about an absolutely ridiculous <laughs> but it's also like there is something special about hearing authors talk about books like um, like Deadline City that Zoraida does. And like and I, um, and it's just like I like Zoraida and, and Danielle Clayton. I should give them both their flowers. Yes. But it's just like it is at the end of the day, like you guys are two authors talking about books, which is like that's to me as a an aspiring author. Like that's such that that's like the good stuff where it's like when you guys start getting into like, well, here's how I would do like the craft of it, like yeah. in a way that other people just can't understand. I, that that's, I love that so much. Yeah. I think it's really fun. And I think it's like a more fun approach to learning how to fix things in your writing. And also to realize that like, by and large, most of us make the same kinds of mistakes because all of the things that Tyra did, I, I've done in my very early drafts, which is why I also, till to this day, I do think that Tyra is a talented writer. I just think that she was too ambitious and too quick. <laughs> well, she should have taken a couple more years, like practice, maybe really flesh the plot out because it was a hot mess. But she, she has a creativity there and I could really, really see that. Um, and so it's just fun to see that. It's fun to see that we all sort of like make the same mistakes, are capable of making the same mistakes. And that's cool because it means that like there are solutions out there for all of us to pull from collectively. Oh, I love that. So perfect. Uh, so the last question I always ask is if you could offer up a recommendation for anything you want people to either check out or that isn't getting enough love. It could be books. A lot, obviously, a lot of authors who talk about books, but I mean, it can be like the first episode, Mallory recommended a protein powder. Like it, <laughs> it could be literally, it could be a recipe. It could be a TV show. It could be to check out Tyra Banks's book, like whatever it is you want to recommend. For um, well, the first thing I'm going to recommend is grilled cheese. 
Yeah. Because it's delicious and everyone should have one. I'm sorry to our lactose intolerant friends, but mm-hmm. you can find alternatives, I'm sure. Yeah. And I am going to go ahead and promote or say people should check out the book Small Town Pride by Phil Stamper, which mm-hmm. is one of my favorite recent middle grade books about a young kid who's throwing his very small farm town's first pride event ever. It is very cute. It made me cry. And there is a video game mechanism in the book, which is sort of reminiscent of Stardew Valley, which we are big fans of as well. (laughs) And if I remember correctly, didn't Phil and their partner just have a baby? So so definitely go get Phil's book. Get it. You have money. (laughs) I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with the baby. I text Phil every single day. Like How's Blake? I love her. I'm obsessed with her. I just can't wait to go see her. I'm just beyond. It's been, it's been so fun to like watch what watching one of your best friends have a baby is very sort of like heartwarming. Mm -hmm. And um, me and Ryan had a, cause me, Phil and Ryan are in a group chat. We had a separate sort of like, don't stress Phil out chat where we were just like, what, how, when's the baby? Mm-hmm. we were freaking out I, having you two is like surrogate aunties and an uncle like that is yes. oh my god that baby's gonna have the best life in the world oh we just can't wait the costumes that ryan will make i just cannot wait oh my god the only problem is he's gonna he, he can't make them sexy like the, he can't make a baby costume sexy yeah, he he'll he'll figure something out ryan can do cute really well also so yeah. I, I believe in him. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Well, this, I have, like I said, I, I have been like following along quietly at your career for a long, long time. And when I got the chance to talk to you, I was so, so freaking excited. Claire Bell, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Uh, thanks for remembering authors are people too. <laughs> <laughs> Passions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol. It was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.